0: We are talking about the dream, um, having a dream. And I'm going to double down on something I said last week about isolation and not doing, not dreaming alone. Anybody ever uh, in here um, nervous about telling somebody else your dream? Anybody else? Anybody nervous about telling anybody your dream sometimes? You got to be careful who you tell. You really do. Because you would tell the wrong person, they go, I oh, don't never happen. Um, you tell the right person, they say, How can we help? So uh, I'm encouraging you today to get some people around you that will encourage your dream. Make sure it's from God, but then once it's from God, make sure you get people around you to encourage you in that. Because we were not meant to do this alone. We were not meant to do it alone. And I'm thankful for that. I, um, a little bit, I think my, I think my wife would agree with this. There's a little bit, I, I do get energy from other people. Like I don't like eating lunch by myself. I don't like, I don't really like until I get in a bad mood and then I want to be by myself. Is that true? So when I'm not in a good place, I always want to be by myself and that should tell you something. So, the way God wired me is, I want to be around people until I don't. And usually that's, um, usually that's on vacation. Does that mean I'm always in a bad place when we're on vacation? <laughs> wow. We're going to read from Romans chapter 16 today. And if I had to, And if I had to entitle this, I would call it Dream Together dream together. I want to welcome all those watching online, Hope Online. I want to welcome the great church in Berkeley Springs. I want to welcome all the people that are going to be watching this later and on demand. Uh, This is a great church to be a part of, and and it's good to see it spread out all over the place. Hey, I want to tell you something that I don't think I plan on saying. Do you know last week was the highest attended Sunday, non Easter or Christmas that we've ever had in the history of Hope Community Church? That's crazy. That's crazy. We're thankful for what God is doing, thankful for what you are doing to advance His gospel. Romans chapter 16, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read this together. Now, uh, just a, just a uh, preface. Before I start reading this, I picked the chapter with the most names to read. The most names ever written in a single section of scripture. And so I tried to work through it, but give me grace. Will you give me grace this morning? I'm going to just start ad-libbing and calling them Bill and Jim and Bob. and I committed to you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of uh, Sancria that you may welcome her in the lord in a in a worthy in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you for she is part has been a patron of many and of myself as well greet priscilla and aquila my fellow workers in christ jesus who risk their necks for my life to whom not only i give thanks but all the churches of the gentiles give thanks as well greet also the church in their house greet my beloved epenepenaeus who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they they were in Christ before me. Greet Amplidaeus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, my beloved Stakes, Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. I don't think it means what it means today. (laughs) Greet Tryphania and. Triphosa, greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet uh, Asyncritus. Greet f- There's a whole lot of people in here. Why did I do this? And all the saints who are with them greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And... F- Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For our, your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so does Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater and my kinsmen. And I, Teridus, Teridius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, who is a host to me in the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, greet you. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your good word to us this morning. Lord, we pray that we'd find Lord, that you put people around us. Lord, put people around us to encourage us. Put us around other people to encourage them. It's the way you designed it, God. We pray because of that, your gospel would go forward like never before in this area. In Jesus' name we pray, everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Paul's letter to the church in Rome is considered um, the most complete collection of Christian doctrine uh, in the New Testament. If you read it front to back, the book of Romans, it it is like a It's like an encyclopedia about Christian doctrine. Paul was writing to the church in Rome. It was the the center, it was the capital of the the whole then known world. It was the powerhouse of of the Roman Empire. And so Paul had an immense desire to go there and preach. He wanted to see the gospel spread to the, the whole known world at that time. And actually in Romans chapter, at the beginning of that Letter to the Romans, he writes in chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you that is that we may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I am under obligation, both the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's saying, I want to come to you You have no idea how bad I want to be there. Verse 12, he says, so that is, that way we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, but it's yours and mine. He's like, this is the way this thing works. Like, like we're walking in this thing together. We're, we're, we're following the call of God together. And I can't wait to get to you to preach, to spread the gospel in Rome and to encourage you. And you encourage me. Doesn't that sound like a good deal? It's like old friends going, man, I can't wait to visit you next week. We encourage each other. Can't wait to come and hang out. Can't wait to spend the weekend with you. Can't wait to spend a month with you. So fast forward to the end of the letter. And Paul's thanking this super long list of people. Which he does in a lot of his letters, but the letter to the Romans, he thanks a really long list of people who have been more than helpful to him in assisting the call of God in his life. He hasn't been doing this alone. He hasn't been the lone ranger. He hasn't been the the super apostle that's just running around, managing everything by himself, for himself. He's doing it with a large group of people. So I need to make sure we understand something right up front. How many of you are competitive in here? How many... How many competitive people? Ooh. Wow, that's scary. They're probably all thinking, I could do that better than he is. So, first of all, I need you to understand this, that the gospel is not competitive. The gospel is not a competitive sport. That you are not in competition with somebody else. Paul was had this large group of people around him and he wasn't in competition with any of them. He desired to give them everything they needed. He said, I want to come impart something to you. You don't impart something to people that you're in competition with, except a butt whooping, right? Like I'm going to impart something to you. I'm going to crush your spirit when we meet. He says, no, no, no. I'm willing to give you everything I have. I want to come to you to impart something that I have to you so that you can be better, so that that you can be greater, so that you can go beyond what I'm doing, so that you can succeed in every area of your life. So he's saying, there is no competition here. I'm not in competition with the church in Rome or the people that are helping me. I want to give you what I have. Well, that's a different thought process, isn't it? A lot of times in our culture, we're like, we gotta get what we get and hold it real tight because we might lose it. And and Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Whatever I have, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna I'm gonna be generous with it. We find out in his first letter to Corinthians, actually, what I just talked about during communion, the Corinthians were in competition with Jesus, with each other, there was divisiveness, and there was there was arguing and there was all kinds of things going on, and people were just looking out for themselves and so Paul writes to him in his first letter in chapter twelve, and he says, "Hey, listen, the body of christ doesn 't work this way. This is not the way we work. We work together because god when God built the body, he built it, all of us included. amen, so he put us all together. On purpose, because we all have something to offer, not can, not compete with each other. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 14, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, what? That would not make it any less part of the body. Amen? He says that if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, which I've seen some cartoons like that, it's weird. (laughs) If the whole body were an eye, if the whole body were an ear, if the whole body were, where would it get a sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot tell the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Come on, can you say amen about that? I was uh, watching somebody play pickleball a couple weeks ago. By the way, that thing's taken off. Watching somebody play pickleball the other day, and the guy went to run like this and fell right on his face. And he's grabbing his ankle, and I'm not an EMT, so I just watch. So I was standing back, I was like, oh man, he might have broken his ankle. He tore his Achilles tendon. Yeah, that's what you get for the effort. So I thought, one of the most insignificant things, how do you, nobody goes to the gym and is like, hey, what are you doing that exercise for? Getting that Achilles strengthened. You know, I like walking in, people seeing my Achilles. I lived in waste for years. Nobody works out your Achilles tendon. Nobody. But when it snaps, you know it. Amen? You know it. And you don't get up. And this guy was really fit. And he was laying on the floor, grabbing his ankle. And I thought, man, that must hurt. Help him, Lord. Every one of you just made a middle note in your head. Don't call him. He is no help. I'm CPR certified, but you don't want me doing that. Paul's making this case that that we're all indispensable. that, That we have to be together. So your gifts and my gifts put together complete the body of Christ. Does that make sense? So it's not... So we're not in competition. It's not like, well, Pastor Chris is really good at that. I wish I wish I was really good at that because you're good at something that I'm not good at. You do realize that, right? You're good at something that I'll never be good at. God put a dream in you that he never put in me. And so all of a sudden, when all this comes together, now the body of Christ is functioning as one like we should, and we're and we're complementing each other and we're equipping each other because the eye doesn't work by itself, the eye tells the brain what it's looking at, and then the brain can tell the hand how to respond to what it's looking at. Do you see how that works? So all of a sudden, in harmony, the body of Christ comes together, not in competition. But in harmony, in unity, the body of Christ comes together. The problem is, part of our sinful nature wants to get ahead of everyone else, don't we? Why did they get that? I don't know how they got that. I don't know. They don't deserve that. You know what I started thinking? I don't either. I used to hang around people that say, well, they don't deserve that. And I started thinking to myself, I don't deserve it either. That's a really easy way to just break that whole cycle in your life. If somebody got blessed, thank the Lord. Good for you. They didn't deserve it. And I don't deserve it either. Remember, we were all sinners and Jesus saved us. Now he blesses us as individuals not for us to critique whether somebody deserves it, but to be thankful that they're blessed. Amen? Because now they have something to impart. And now when I'm blessed, be thankful because now I have something to impart. Amen? Man, I'm so thankful that, they, that they're that they advancing in their job. I'm so thankful they're advancing in their career. I'm so thankful that, they're, that they're, their marriage is working. I'm thankful for it. Why? Because now they have something. A good marriage gives you something to impart. Amen? So we're not in competition. We're for each other. Because you can't encourage one another and be in competition at the same time. So think about it. You've been in competition lately. Who you've been in competition with that God wants you to change your mindset a little bit about. I'm not saying it work in your sales numbers. Hopefully, come on, you understand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying to go to work and tell your manager, hey, listen, my pastor said I shouldn't be in competition. So my sales are going to hurt a little bit this this month. No, go to work and do your best. Crush them. If you're playing a sport, be the best. No mercy. But the way we treat each other is totally different. Amen? I'm getting through. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not in competition with you. I'm not in competition with you. Because kingdom dreams unite us. Kingdom dreams always unite us. So here's what I, here's what I need to ask you. If your dream doesn't unite you with people, it might not be a dream from God. If your dream isolates you from everybody else, I would, I would tend to question who gave you that dream. If your dream isolates you from your family, if your dream isolates you from the neighbors, if your dream isolates you from everybody else, if you're just running like I'm the only one can do this, everybody's got to get out of my way. If that's your dream, I would question whether it came from God or not. Because God-given dreams, as we're seeing in Paul, my hope and prayer and wish is to come to you and impart to you something. And then at the end of the letter, he said, I can't do this without you. He says, Some of you have been doing this longer than me, and you still help me out. You still, you see, there's no competition. The people that were that were believers longer than Paul was weren't going, Well, I've been around here longer than him. No, the dream united all of them together. The kingdom dreams unite us. Verse 17 he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So he's saying he's saying dreams unite us. So if somebody comes in and starts causing division, or has a dream that starts that starts fracturing everything, avoid them. That's strong words, isn't it? For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. Hmm. Okay. Here's a gauge I use for, for me. If I come into a group of people and if my presence in that group of people doesn't bring the group of people closer, maybe I'm the problem. Did you ever think about that? If I come into a group of people And when, and when my arrival starts causing divisions among the group of people and it gets more divisive because, have you ever even thought about that? Like what changed? I showed up. Paul's saying, Paul's saying, listen, if people come in and it gets more divisive when they get here, then they're not dreaming the same way you are. Be careful with those people because they're out for their own appetites. James would later say that as well. He said, what causes quarrels and and fights among you because you want what you don't have? Your appetite is driving it. Now, let me be clear about something. Being aggressive is not the same as being divisive. Did you understand that? All, All the aggressive people just went, yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. Like, come on, man. Being aggressive is not the same as being divisive. There is a place in the kingdom for aggressive people, namely Paul. Paul was, out of all the apostles, the most aggressive personality, the most aggressive apostle out of all of them. He's the one that's like, hey, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's, we thought we were going to die. No, let's keep going. Let's, let's spread this thing all over the place. If I get a chance to go, I'm going. Nothing's going to hold me back. And he just kept going and going. He was like, aggressive. But aggressiveness does not have to be divisive. That's an important note. One other thing I would like to say of that. Remember we talked about appetites and how people were being divisive because their appetites were driving them. I want to tell you this. Godly dreams are governed by doctrine, not appetites. Do, do you, know what I, you know what I realized here during the fast? And we've been doing this for, I don't know, 15, 15 or more years at this church. When I changed what I was eating, my appetite changed. Anybody else fasting notice that? My wife asked me last night in the grocery store, she said, um, well, how did you say it? What do you miss? Is there anything you miss eating or anything you wish you were eating? And I went, I don't know. Not really. Because I changed what I was eating, and then my appetite for things went along with my change. Are you following me? Some of you are like, nope, nope. I still want a bowl of ice cream in a, in a T-bone steak. I, no, this is awful. Here's the issue. When your appetites drive your dreams, your dreams won't stay the same because your appetites change as you change. Are you hearing me? If you want consistency in your life, you can't chase appetites. If you want consistency in your life, you have to chase the dream God gives because trust me when I tell you this, the same thing you want when you're 20 is not what you will want when you're 40. It's not what you'll want when you're 60, and so so it, it makes us a little scatterbrain when we're just chasing appetites. Oh, I want a lot of carbs today. Oh, I want a lot of I want a lot of I want a lot of fat today. Oh, I want I want a lot of protein today. We just bounce back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But God is the one that unites us in consistency. That's why in Matthew it says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you." Because when you keep your appetite for the same thing, when you say, God, I want what you have for me, I want the dream you're giving me, then we don't get all scattered. Then we don't start chasing everything that comes around like, oh, I want this, I want this, I want to. We don't need to buy the sports car. I'm not saying that's bad, by the way. I'm just saying. I'm really not saying that's bad, just in case she's listening. You ever feel there was a time in your life where you were chasing a hundred things? It's because you were chasing an appetite instead of God. And what happens is, can I also tell you this? When the church chases appetites, we don't get along. James said it. Why do you fight and quarrel among you? Because you're not getting what you want, appetite. First Corinthians, when Paul Paul talks to them about the Lord's Supper, which you just talked about, he says, some of you, your appetite gets in the way of you preferring each other. So you just grab your stuff and eat, and there's other people going hungry. So when the church chases our appetites, we can't be unified. When we chase, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, unification comes with that because we start lining ourselves up we start we start going hey wait this is what my flesh wants but i prayed every day lord not what would we say last week your will be done on earth as it is in heaven And as soon as I pray that, if I pray that at my house in the morning, Lord, I'm sincere about this. I want you to suppress my appetites for things of this world, and I want you to increase my appetite for you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you're at your house praying the exact same thing, and you mean it, then when we come together, there will be unity. Isn't that cool how that works? Because why would we be able to pray that in different locations and come together and God say some totally different to each of us? That's the beauty about the body of Christ where Paul who has not even visited Rome yet can write to them and say, listen, I've been praying and I know I have something to impart to you. I know I have something to impart. Because we're both seeking the same thing And God told me what you needed We can support each other We can encourage each other Because here's the end of the day Here's the truth We need each other to accomplish God's will Look at your neighbor on both sides And say I need you Tell him I need you That's going to be awkward for some of you Tell him anyway I need you. We need each other. If you're writing down things to ask yourself, here's another one. Ask yourself, if you can accomplish what God has put in your heart on your own, it's probably not from him. It's probably not from him. Paul had the most miraculous conversion story. He, he, he was going around praying for doing unbelievable, miraculous things. He, I mean, have you ever read his story in Acts? It is unbelievable. It trumps all kinds of other apostles' acts. And yet he could not do it by himself. He needed people. Doctrines guide your dreams, not our appetites. Okay, I need, I need to say something real quick. Uh, I've, been, I've been thinking about it this week. Uh, if you're thinking about getting married here, I don't care what age you are. Well, I do care. If you're 12, don't think about it. <laughs> but if you're, you know, if you're of marrying age and up, if you're thinking about getting married here, I want to give you one piece of advice that I never want you to forget. Um, because of the way... Because of our attraction to each other, physical attraction to each other, which is necessary? What are you going to be silent? Amen? You're like, I didn't care what she looked like. She could fix breakfast well. Like, what are you talking about? I didn't care what he looked like. He kept the grass mowed. Nobody ever said that. Okay, so there's a, there's a deal. There's a physical attraction. Amen. It's a physical attraction. It should be there. You know what I'm finding out? We don't stay the same. None of this gray was here 10 years ago. 15 years ago, I didn't think about losing weight. I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a part of my thing. I didn't think about, oh, you got health. You got heart problems in your family. I didn't think about that. As you get older, some of the main motivators for us to come together. All of a sudden you look around, you're like, why did we marry? You're beautiful. That ain't never going to happen. I might say a lot of dumb stuff, but I'm not an idiot. Watch this. Let me give you one piece of advice for you to stay married a long time. Find somebody that has the same God dream as you do. And looks good. Find somebody that has the same God dream as you do. Because there will come a time in your marriage that that's the only thing that will keep you united. Everything else has fallen apart except what God promised us. We're gonna hold on to that. When one of you is sick, when one of you can't do whatever, when one of you, no, 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 no. No, the reason we got together is because God put something in both of our hearts that united us. And it wasn't just superficial. It It wasn't just, well, you're pretty and I'm handsome. It wasn't just that. It wasn't just because you liked, you know, watching movies together. It was because there was a God-given passion in both of your lives that transcended all the superficial things. But here's the issue. In our culture today, we're, we're, we're uniting together and sometimes not even united together for the most superficial reasons you could ever imagine. And that's why when it gets difficult, we just quit. Why would we stay together? This is uncomfortable. Why would we stay together? There's nothing else to unite us. Why would we stay together? I never thought you'd get sick. Why would we stay together? I thought you were gonna keep that shape forever. Boy, weren't they naive. But the unifying factor in a godly marriage is God and what he puts in us to accomplish together on his behalf. So now, so now, all, a lot a lot of other things can pass away, but that one won't. So you can look at each other through a difficult time and say, he still put it in us to do this together. He still put it in us to make this happen. He still put it in us to chase his dream. Amen? Come on, that's good premarital advice. Look at your kids right now and say, you better listen. Last thing, band's gonna come up. Dream accordingly. Paul does a doxology at the end of Romans chapter 16. And it starts at verse 25. It says this now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to only the wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. You know what the overarching theme of that doxology is? According, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret, according to the command of the eternal God. We gotta bring our dreams into alignment because this is, this is why. Burnout happens when we dream the wrong dreams. Burnout happens when we chase the wrong things. Some of you in here are are middle-aged. You're getting up in the middle 40s, middle 50s, and you're thinking, I don't know how much longer I can keep this up just burning the candle at both ends. Ask yourself if you're chasing the right thing. Ask yourself if you're chasing the right thing. Because Paul writes to the Romans, and he says, he'll strengthen you Accordingly. Not according to my appetite, but he'll strengthen me according to the dream he put in me. So if I'm accomplishing his will, he will strengthen me. If I'm going at it, if I'm seeking the kingdom first, he'll strengthen me. If my, if my, if my dream is being led by doctrine and not just appetite, he'll strengthen me. But if not, I may be on my own. And you see people over and over and over chase it, chase it, chase it, chase it, chase it, and get to the end of the rainbow, and there's no leprechaun with a pot of gold. It's not there. And we get burned out because we're trying to strengthen ourselves. We're trying to strengthen ourselves. Trying, I, can it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can keep the pace, I can keep the pace. I'll eat right now, exercise, and I'll do everything right. And yet, those people at the end of it, chasing the wrong things, still get burned out. If we dream accordingly, he strengthens us. How does he do it? How does he do it? You can't forget that Paul just wrote a long thing there. All these people strengthen me. All these people, my list, strengthened me. Go back to Romans one eight. He says, I can't wait to come. And be encouraged by you and encourage you. I can't wait for us to do this thing together. So, church, we have a job today. We have a job today, not just to chase what God put in front of us, but to do it together, to strengthen each other, to encourage each other, to speak in each other's lives, to cheer for each other, say, Hey man, you know what? I saw you doing that the other day. That's amazing. You're you're great at it, God's gifted you at it. And when they're down, say, Hey, don't give up, we're in this together. You can accomplish it all through Christ who strengthens you And I'm here to help you believe that I'm here to help you sustain that We can lift each other's burdens, amen Stand to your feet This is what Ecclesiastes said to us Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 It says this, real simple Two are better than one Doesn't that make math sense? If you give me one, wouldn't I rather have two? Yeah. Two is better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. Amen. Amen. If two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The beautiful thing about a church family is that we can encourage each other and strengthen each other and encourage each other to chase God-given dreams. And we could do it together, amen? So can we pray that way this morning? Maybe you've been chasing something for a long time and you're, and you're just burned out. Maybe today's a day, God, I need to make sure this is from you. I need to make sure it's from you. And let him speak into that. Maybe you've been trying to do it all by yourself and God's telling you today, don't do that. Let people come around you and help you. Accept the help. Accept the help. And let other people encourage you today in your walk. So, Father, we pray like that this morning. God, you never designed us to do this alone, Lord. You always made us more effective in groups. And so we pray that way today for the person that's worn out and weary. I pray, Lord, that they lean into the help. Lord, for the person that's just starting out trying to figure out what they're going to do. I pray that they surround themselves with godly people who can help them see the dream God's put in them. I pray, Lord, that you, that you make this a well-oiled machine, this body that you put together to advance your gospel. Lord, I know you'll strengthen us according to your word this morning. And we thank you for it, and we give you praise and honor because you're worthy of it. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Come on, church, could you say amen? Could you give him thanks this morning? Hey, encourage somebody before you leave.